Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Starting or Settling. I am your host, Julia, and I am much happier than the last time you heard me because the Giants are somehow three and one this season. And it's just, it's something I haven't felt in so long. This just knowing that my team is playing games in October that matter, that their season isn't over. Are they a great team? No. Are they a good team? No, not really, but it's just, it's fun and I'm enjoying it. And I'm seeing progression from some guys I've been looking to see some progression from. And, um, I just love this coach. I love Brian Dayball. I love Joe Shane. There's so much more to come, obviously on all of that. As you know, the giants are always the last team I talk about on these episodes, but I just had to start off. I had to start off with that because winning on one o'clock or at one o'clock during the one o'clock window, whatever winning in the first window of games on Sundays is so amazing because then you get to watch the four o'clock games, the Sunday night game and the Monday night game with just no care in the world. Cause your team won. Like it just, it feels so good. So I'm really happy about that. And honestly, I didn't get to watch um, all the one o'clock games, obviously, because the Giants were playing during them. So I thought I'd actually tell you guys what I do to prep myself to talk about these games. Cause obviously like one of my least favorite things in the world is when you listen to commentators and it's so obvious that they like didn't watch the game or they are taking things out of context and it's not really fair, whether it's an assessment of a player or whatever it is. But, um, Sorry if you share my phone buzz, by the way. But for me, what I do is I'll go and watch the highlights, of course, from the game. And then I will look at the box score and sort of get an idea, okay, of like, this is where that interception came from. Or, you know, this is why he had this many incompletions or only this many receptions. And then I'll actually go and I listen to the Locked On net podcast network which basically every single nfl team has its own show run by local beat writers or a local beat writer um for that team and they do podcasts very very frequently i know for the giants it's run by patricia trana who i love patricia trana for the insight she gives the analysis she gives i think she's very fair in her assessment of players and and things like that but in terms of an actual podcast host i don't find her to be the best but i I really do like her content and respect her opinions and so i do listen to her of course and then i go and i actually listen to the game reactions from these people because these are people who follow the teams very closely they know the players not just the stars or the starters but also the bench guys the depth guys um and it provides some good insight and a good understanding of where the team's at what the feel around that particular fan base is for their team so that's usually what i do to prep for these and given that it's a quick turnaround it's from a sunday monday and try to get it out to you guys on Wednesdays. That's why it's been a little later because it's it's hard to balance all of that. But um, I enjoy it so much. I just love the NFL and we only get it for such a short amount of time. So I try to soak it all in as much as I can. And it's crazy because we're now basically a quarter of the way through the year. Now that week four is done, um, that used to be in the old schedule a quarter of the year. Now it's a little bit less than that because of the extra game that was added. But regardless, we're heading into week five. 
My Giants are three and one, and I'm happy about it. I'm very, very happy about it. So we're going to get into these games, and we, of course, have to start with the London game. So week four had the first London game or international game of the year. I know there's a game that's going to be played in Germany this year. I think the Bucks are a part of that. And then I also think there might be one in Mexico City, but I'm not sure. Um, but the Vikings defeated the Saints 28 to 25. We had a double doink situation. Um, I got to be honest with you guys. I haven't paid too much attention to the Vikings in terms of really watching their games because they've usually been during giant games or just watching red zone. I don't get to see too much of them, which is very unfortunate given all the talent they have. But that's the frustrating thing about this Vikings team. They went into this game with all cards in their favor. Alvin Kamara was out. Michael Thomas was out. Jameis Winston was out. So they were missing for the Saints so many weapons. And you would expect the Vikings to come out there and be aggressive and really try to put up points because you don't anticipate Andy Dalton missing two of his top targets uh, to do that well. And not that they did that well, but it was the Vikings offense that frustrated me the most. Um, Listen, we know what Kirk Cousins is. I know there were people that were high on the Vikings this year that were high on Kirk Cousins this year. He's average. He will have some really good games, some really good drives, some really good throws, and then he'll have some really bad games, some really bad drives, and some really bad throws. And, you know, I made the mistake of taking Kirk in my daily league. I just for some reason was like, you know, no one ever plays that well during the London games. I might as well just take a chance here. And yeah, that didn't really work out too well for me. Uh, So won't be doing that again. But it's just insane that, and I know the Saints defense is good, but for the Vikings to have a Dalvin Cook, have Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, there is no reason in my mind why they shouldn't be so much better than they are until you watch the games and you realize that not only is Kirk average, which is going to hold that team back inevitably, and I actually think Daniel Jones would be a really good fit on the Vikings. Um, yeah, anyone can come at me for that one. Um, I think Kevin O'Connell is a bad coach. Um, I think he coaches scared. I think he does not coach to the talent that he has. There was a clip during the first half, I believe it was, where you pan to the sideline and Adam Thielen is having a pretty heated conversation with O'Connell. And it's been noted that he's had a very quiet season so far this year. And so he's obviously very frustrated uh, with his lack of a role compared to what we're used to seeing. And you would envision that he would get more opportunities given the attention that Justin Jefferson draws. So very interesting situation there. But there was a point where it was there was about 56 seconds left in the game. The Saints fumble the football, and the Vikings recover, and they have it at the Saints, like, 40. So there's 56 seconds. You have the ball at your opponent's 40-yard line, and they had all three timeouts. They did not use one timeout. They gained, like, one first down, and then they just kicked a field goal. And it's like, you only won by a field goal, and I get, you know, if your offense isn't looking that great or if – you know, guys are hurt or whatever it is. You want to potentially drop back and drop a new plan at halftime and, and make whatever adjustments you need to. But there was no need for that. And I tweeted it out and I was like, Jesus Christ, like this coaching is unbelievable. I would be infuriated if I was a Vikings fan. And conversely for the Saints, I mean, listen, they did a good job of mitigating the big plays as much as they could. They did a good job of really 
not allowing Justin Jefferson to take over that game. They got good pressure on Kirk Cousins, forced a turnover from him early in the game when it looked like they were about to take a two-score lead. So they the defense for the Saints did what they had to do, and same thing for the offense. I mean, it wasn't pretty by any stretch, but Andy Dalton held his own. He faced a good amount of pressure, and he was able to get the ball to his playmakers and let them go. And um, it came down to ultimately a missed field goal that double-doinked first off the – post and then off the crossbar um so the vikings were able to hold on and you know that's a huge win for them but uh it it certainly wasn't pretty and and i don't think any vikings fan is feeling too great given what they were supposed to be this year or what the anticipation was around this team this year so vikings grabbed that win in the first international game for the nfl this year although it was not in the most um It wasn't in the prettiest fashion. We'll put it that way. So now we move on to the one o'clock window and the highest scoring game of the week. Uh, The Seahawks beat the Lions 48 to 45. And I don't really know how that makes me feel about the Giants offense. The fact that Geno Smith put up, well, technically he put up 41 points because there was a pick six that uh, Seattle's defense had. But um, keys to this game, the Lions missed two extra points which, you know, that's never a good thing. Um, Would it have won them the game? No, but it maybe would have changed the way that they called certain plays. And that's just something to always make note of. Special teams, you never think about it until you have to, and you never want to have to think about it um, because that usually means that something bad happened, whether it be on punting, kickoffs, field goals, whatever it is. So that's obviously frustrating there, especially for a team that hasn't found a way to really win besides the one win that they do have. Um, but yeah, that, that's not, that's not going to be great for them. And then for the Lions' defense, they're just really bad. Like they are legitimately a very bad defense. They gave up so many chunk plays to Seattle and, you know, obviously a lot of points with little resistance, but it's so frustrating for Lions fans, I'm sure, and even for myself, because I've been saying all year how I think they're on the right track and this and that, because their offense is clearly very good. Um, they did struggle. They had to make a little bit of a comeback bid, which they have had to do in most of their games this season. But they were able to not only move the ball, but put up 45 points. And they were missing Amon Ross St. Brown and DeAndre Swift, who were two of their top targets. And You know, they were a bit sloppy. Jared Goff, as I mentioned before, had a really bad pick six, um, which extended the the Seahawks lead, had a couple other turnovers, another fumble there. So, and just overall not, it's never good when you're struggling to win and then you're also beating yourself. Like it's, it's hard enough to win a game in the NFL. And then when you're defense is really struggling and your offense is your only source of positivity to then see your quarterback give the ball away twice, one turning into immediate points. It just is never a, never a good feeling. Um, but again, missing Amon Ross St. Brown and DeAndre Swift, it is impressive how many points they were able to put up. Uh, and for the Lions offensively, TJ Hawkinson, that man is a beast. He's smart. He's breaking tackles. He puts his head down. And it's actually obviously not surprising that he's playing well under Dan Campbell, being a former tight end himself. Uh, so that's cool to see and definitely a fantasy thought for uh, upcoming seasons. But yeah, again, back to the defense. The Lions secondary is just, it's like Swiss cheese. And it's not that's not going to get it done, especially late in games. And especially when your run defense is not great either. 
Um, and going up against a team like Seattle that has DK Metcalf, that has Tyler Lockett, these are two guys that can stretch the field, and Seattle definitely took advantage of that. Um, their receivers were easily able to beat the corners and man and did a good job of finding soft spots in zone. And so obviously the big story out of this game is Geno Smith. Again, it's like everyone week one was going nuts over him weeks two and three, we all calmed down and now he throws for a billion touchdowns and we're like, okay, what's going on here? Um, and after watching what I, what I saw from that game and then also listening to some commentary, what Geno does a really good job of doing is taking what's being given to him and then making some individually very good throws and tight windows, good decisions with the football. He's not a great quarterback. Like he's not going to be a game changer, like a Pat Mahomes, a Justin Herbert and Aaron Rodgers. He's never going to be at that level. I mean, most people won't be at that level, but even at the, like the next tier of guys, you know, I, I obviously wouldn't put him by like a Dak Prescott or anything, you know, or a Kyler Murray. So, you know, he's, he's good for what he is. And sometimes when you're a team that's in a really weird position of you're no longer really a playoff team, you lost a lot of guys, you're in a sort of transitional phase. It is really good to have a quarterback like that to provide some steadiness. So good for Seattle getting this win. It sucks for the Lions. They're now one and three on the year and it's, they just cannot get a lead or keep a lead. Their defense is just so awful. So that's very unfortunate and obviously something that's going to have to be addressed because it's literally lost them the three games they've lost this year. This Lions team realistically could very well be two and two, if not three and one, and they just their defense is letting them down on a consistent basis, which sucks for them. So moving on to the Jets versus the Steelers. Uh, this was Zach Wilson's first game of the year. He finally was back after that scary preseason injury. Um, so very good for Jets fans, obviously, seeing him back and getting to start to see what that offense could look like with him under center. The Jets beating the Steelers on the road 24-20. to Hats off to the Jets. I mean, again, another comeback win. There was many moments in this game where it looked like they were out of it and the Steelers just couldn't pull away. And the Jets took advantage of the opportunities that were given to them, which is a lot of credit to them. And to do that in Pittsburgh, I know Pittsburgh is not a very good team, and I know Kenny Pickett ended up replacing Mitch in that game. But still, Pittsburgh's never it's never an easy place to play. So good for the Jets there. Um, I don't think Zach Wilson played like great overall. I mean, he credit to him made plays, especially down the stretch when he needed to, and that's what you would love to see from a young quarterback. Um, and he did a good job of what Joe Flacco couldn't do, which is evading pressure and keeping plays alive with his feet. Uh, but he did make some really bad decisions with the football, which he just needs to stop doing. And I do believe that that'll come with more experience and with time. Uh, but there were a couple, couple plays where he even got away with some. And I was like, buddy, you can't be doing that. You know, I know he's a second year guy. He's still young and it's his first game on the year, but those were issues he had last year where it almost just seemed like kind of with Jones sometimes where he just isn't seeing the field well, where he's just missing defenders completely. So um, obviously something he's got to clean up there. And the Jets, it was funny. They ran a pseudo Philly special down in the red zone early in the game to get their first touchdown on the board. 
And it's like, hey, you, you do what you got to do. That's Steelers defense. I know they're missing TJ Watt, but there's still nobody. Uh, nobody's really plowing over them easily. So good for the Jets to throw out some creativity there and make it a little fun. Um, but the Jets overall need to be more disciplined. That's what I, my main takeaway from this game. They've had really bad moments this year, and there was one right before the half where the the Steelers weren't they threw a Hail Mary with like eight seconds left like they weren't gonna get anywhere the Jets had intercepted the ball and were trying to run it back and they just roughed the passer they were for no on a Hail Mary they roughed the passer there is literally no point in doing that and it cost them 15 yards and then from that play with no time left on the clock the Steelers were able to kick a field goal and made it which made it a 14 to 9 game I believe uh, or no, not 14 to nine. I think it was seven. To... Either way, it increased. Oh, I'm thinking of the Giants game. Sorry. But either way, it gave the Steelers more points on the board, which when you're a team that's struggling to find wins early on, that's not something you want to do to close out a half. So they just really need to work on their discipline and, and knowing the situation. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick for the Steelers. He's a beast. I feel like every other play defensively, he is near the ball, whether he's in the box or he is playing his true safety spot. He's just so good. He's a knack for finding the football from, you know, separating receivers from the football and getting his own hands on it. He's just an amazing safety and he's a lot of fun to watch. And like I mentioned before, Kenny Pickett coming in in the second half, he looked good. You know, he, he was decisive. He was accurate. Um, it's funny. He actually didn't have a single incompletion in the game because every pass was either completed to a Steelers receiver or a Jets defender, which his first interception, which was his first throw of the game. Um, it actually went right off of Chase Claypool's hands. It was kind of a jump ball, but there was no reason why Chase Claypool should not have went up and caught that football and, um, did a little ricochet and went right to the Jets. So that was a tough start, but he responded well, uh, but ultimately, what did the Steelers in was their defense at the end, which has been the strong suit for this team for a while. And they just could not stop the Jets from going down the field and, and scoring the game-winning touchdown with less than 20 seconds left. About less than 20 seconds left. And again, just good for the Jets. You know, this is a huge win for them. This is a huge step in the right direction for them. Um, and they're really making the, uh, AFC North pay right now beating, I know they lost to the Ravens, but beating the Browns and the Steelers two weeks apart, uh, must feel good for them. So then we move on to the Titans and the Colts. So the Titans did a really good job this game. This is the first game all year. They've done this of just getting Derrick Henry, the ball in space and letting him work. And it was major. He had two touchdowns on the day, just bowling guys over, you forget how fast he is when he is in space, given his his size and his height and all that. Um, and surprisingly for the Colts, their run defense, I mean, I know it's Derrick Henry, but it's not like this Titans offense has been doing well. And so the fact that Derrick Henry was able to play so well against a division rival, against a defense that was a top five defense last year, uh, really disappointing for them and really put them in a hole early, which is what ended up making them lose 24 to 17 because they just couldn't complete the comeback. And I will say though, for the Colts, Alec Pierce, their rookie wide receiver, he's impressive. You know, he seems smart. He, it kind of seems like he always knows where he is on the field or in relation to the sideline or the sticks. And he's always in just a great position to body off his defender. I have a feeling he's going to be sort of like a Hunter Renfro, 
for the Colts if the Colts can just get more help offensively, and that would start with the quarterback because Matt Ryan isn't it, which we all knew. But uh, it is tough to watch there. But they do have a potentially young, good role-playing second string or really good third string wide receiver in Alec Pierce, I think. So now we move on to the Chargers beating the Texans 34-24. to The Chargers running game has been non-existent this season, but that changed in this game. Austin Eckler did a really good job of finding the soft spots in the Texans' defense and just using his speed to get to the outside and get into the end zone. And Justin Herbert, I mean, he is just so good. And I know he's hurt, and I know he's had a bad couple games. Or not a bad couple games, a rough couple games. And he went out there and he did his thing. And I'm really happy for him because this was a huge win for the Chargers coming off of a 38-10 to blowout loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They needed this desperately. Um, you know, they, they were winning the whole time. They never lost the lead, which was good. The Texans could have made it close at the end, but they just aren't good enough to pull away. And Davis Mills, similarly to, to Geno Smith, I think he's very average. I think Geno's a little better. Um, but I think he's a very average quarterback leaning bad. But, you know, he he's doing what he can with what he has, which isn't much. Um, the Texans team, they're just they're a tough team, but they're not going to be able to get over that hump. They're going to fight you till the end, but they're not going to come out of it looking very great. Uh, that's just one of those teams, you know, and, and it's a shame because I feel like for the Texans, they've kind of been this in this bit of irrelevance for a while. So you just hope that they can start to turn it around um, in the coming future. Surprisingly, in our next matchup, the Falcons beat the Browns 23 to 20. Now, the Browns were at a disadvantage going into this game. They were missing Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney. And injury news after this game is that Cordell Patterson, who's been a star as a running back for Atlanta over the past season and a quarter, he was put on IR, so he's got to miss at least four games because of a knee procedure that he had done on Monday, which sucks for them. Obviously, takes a huge weapon out of their offense, but... You just got to hope for Atlanta's sake that they can get it together and rally the guys up and say, hey, you know, you got to go these next few weeks without them and see what you can make of it. Um, so despite missing Miles Garrett and Genevieve Clowney for the Browns, um, on the other side of the football, Nick Chubb had a really great day. I mean, he is so much fun to watch. He just puts his head down and goes right at people. And he's also deceptively quick given his power He's just a tough, physical, smart, disciplined running back. And I know where you can point back to week two against the Jets. I don't care what anyone has to say. I think Nick Chubb is great. I think he's a great running back. He's a lot of fun to watch. And he really was that entire offense for the Browns on Sunday. Um, both quarterbacks in this game. So we've got Jacoby Brissett and Marcus Mariota. They're average. Brissett now has two losses on the year where on the final drive, he only needed like third and 23 just to get in field goal range. They don't, they didn't need a first down and he threw picks like you can't do that. Did it against the jets? Did it this week against Atlanta? Like you just have to be smarter with the football at the end of games. Um, so that was tough for them. Obviously now I think the Brown, the Browns, they won last week. They won week one. So the Browns are 2-2 two and two on this year, but shockingly, so is Atlanta. The, the NFL is so weird this year. There's no, there's a few teams that everyone points to as the best, 
but there's a lot of mediocre play going around. And I think it's because there's not many great quarterbacks. I think we're in a rut of mediocre quarterback play, which isn't very fun. So now we move on to an NFC East matchup. The commanders losing 25 to 10 to the Cowboys. So I should say 10 to 25. Uh, yeah, they got smacked. The Dallas offensive line confirmed still good. Cooper rush to his credit has played very well, but he has all day to throw the football. I mean, it's unbelievable. That man does not have to move a centimeter. He can just stay exactly where he wants to. And, you know, 20, 25 yards downfield, CeeDee Lamb's getting wide open. Like, it just, it seems so easy for them. And the Dallas defensive line is scary good. And their secondary has good speed, but guys do get open on them. So it's really a matter of that upfront pressure by the Dallas defense, not allowing quarterbacks to feel confident throwing the football down the field. Because while Dallas defensive backs do get burnt a lot, they do get a lot of interceptions. So their aggressive play style, their aggressive play calling worked out for them in this one as they only gave up 10 total points. And Carson Wentz, I mean, I listen, he didn't have much time. He hasn't had much time in the pocket the past couple weeks. You can't pull, fully put the blame on him, but he doesn't look good. He just doesn't look good. He looks old. He looks... He looks like he's playing for the Washington Commanders. That's exactly what he looks like. So tough loss for them. They're now one and three on the year. Sole possession of last place in the NFC East, which makes me feel very good. Uh, but obviously just not an ideal game for them. They really just looked flat. And any momentum they had after they scored early in the first half, they just completely wiped it out by not being able to get a stop on defense. And, you know, a complimentary football, it'll do wonders for you. And if you ruin those opportunities, the momentum, momentum, the momentum swing is very apparent. So now another NFC East team involved in this matchup, the Jaguars losing to the Philadelphia Eagles 21 to 29. The Eagles are a great football team. They really are. Um, they are so well-rounded in every aspect of the game. I would say their most questionable position on their team is their quarterback, and that's not to take a shot at Jalen Hurts. It's simply just pointing out the obvious. They have one of the best offensive lines in football. Miles Sanders has been a top running back in this league statistically for a while. Their wide receivers and A.J. Brown and uh, Devonta Smith, and then you look at the defensive side of the ball, one of the best defensive lines in the league, as well as linebackers, and that secondary is just locked down between Bradbury and Slay and Maddox. They are a really good football team, and you knew it was going to be tough for Jacksonville to go in there, but they made it a game to their credit. You know, the Jacksonville is not a team to sleep on in terms of their outlook. I actually think if they can get a competent team around him, which I have faith in, um, Doug Peterson doing, I have a feeling that they're going to surprise some people, make a wild card spot and make things tough on their opponents because Trevor Lawrence, again, I think he's very talented. And then obviously Jacksonville has other guys like Travis Etienne Jr. He's been having a solid season. So, um, you know, one thing though, that Trevor Lawrence has to do is he has to hold on to the football. He fumbled the football by himself like four times and got lucky that he fell on every single one of them. But he literally, there was one play, he was rolling out to his right, and it looks like he went to pump fake and just completely lost the ball, and, the, and Philly recovered. Um, so you really can't do that there, and that's something he's got to have to work on. And if this were Daniel Jones, he would be getting killed, just saying. Uh, but I had to throw that in there. So, yeah. that Obviously, I'm not happy with an Eagles win, but I, I expected it, so it didn't hurt too bad. 
And then the last of the one o'clock games was the Bills Ravens game. Now this game started off crazy. Josh Allen with a pick the Ravens out early in front and the Bills, they did what a lot of people have criticized them for not doing over the past couple seasons, which is winning close games. They've either been blowing out teams or losing games that are close. And they finally were able to squeak out a win at the end of the game after John Harbaugh made some questionable decisions about whether to go for it or not on goal to go scenarios. And you could say it ended up costing them the game because they only lost by three. But ultimately, you know, this Ravens team, I I think they're a good team. I don't think they're a contender. Um, I think they'll probably make the playoffs, but that might be it for them because they just don't have the weapons. They don't have the depth. It's not the same team that we're accustomed to seeing for the past two, three years. And, you know, I'm curious to see how John Harbaugh manages that. I'm curious to see how contract talks between Cordell Patter. <sighs> you guys, could you not tell I'm tired? That was crazy. Not Cordell Patterson. Contract talks between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. I wonder how those are going to be impacted, but it's very evident the Ravens would be a shell of a football team if it wasn't for Lamar. And for that reason alone, I think he deserves to get paid. But again, not my call. So we will, we will see, but the bills got the best of them in this game. They were able to make plays late when they needed to. And listen again, a win is a win in the NFL and you take it any way you can slice it. And Good for them. They deserve it. I'm rooting for the Bills this year, so they deserve it. So now we move on to the 4 o'clock games, and we start with the Cardinals beating the Panthers 26-16. to I got to say, there was nothing really to write home about this game for either team. I would say my biggest takeaways are that the Cardinals are a mess and the Panthers are just absolutely horrifically bad. Um, for the Cardinals, Kyler Murray had a solid day. He definitely turned it on in the second half. That whole offense did, to be honest. And they were able to really separate themselves from the Panthers with a fourth quarter touchdown to ice it. For the Panthers, though, it, it's so crazy, right? Because you look at the skill positions, DJ Moore, Robbie, and Roby Anderson, Robbie Anderson, I, I can't remember, and Christian McCaffrey. And then you look at Baker Mayfield as the addition he should have been, should be better than Sam Darnold was. And you're looking at the lack of production from this offense and you get confused. You're like, how is this possible? And honestly, I blame Matt Rule. I do. I think he's done a really bad job of utilize, utilizing the talent that he has. And I think Baker has just been off. And I know Ben McAdoo's the offensive coordinator over there. And from what I'm hearing from Carolina fans, it's just there's got to be a complete overhaul of this team. You know, they they tried to make it work, and it just, with Matt Rule, and it just, it hasn't. They gave him a new quarterback. Doesn't seem like that's the solution. And for a guy like Baker Mayfield at this point, and I said this a couple weeks ago, we really have to start evaluating his level of talent. And was it really the Browns? Was it really the receivers? Was it really Kevin Stefanski? Or is it just him? And it's starting to lean that way. And I know 
two seasons ago, the Browns looked poised to potentially make a run at the Lombardi Trophy and fell short against the Chiefs in the playoffs. But, you know, with the talent that that team had, and I know Dell got hurt a couple times, it still, to me, is inexcusable. I mean, that team was a quarterback's dream, and he just came up short. And that's, no pun intended, to his height. He also, since he's entered the league, leads the league in batted passes at the line, which, you know, that's confusing to me, especially when you look at the opposition in Kyler Murray, who's one of the shortest quarterbacks in the league, if not the shortest. And it's how he's not up there, I, I don't know. So it has to be in whatever defenders are seeing in his release or his eyes or or something. So the, the Carolina Panthers are just a complete disaster. They're now one in, and three on the year. And it, to me, there, there's no putting this thing back together. And I would be very surprised if Matt Rule makes it through the season, barring some pretty crazy changes. Um, so now we move on to the Broncos and Raiders. This game made me happy. I was very happy to see the Raiders finally get their first win on the year. And I was also very happy to see the Broncos lose. And when you look at what the Broncos have, similarly to the Panthers, they've got a ton of talent too. And it's very weird why they're not doing well. And so you have to look to coaching. And I, I know that Nathaniel Hackett, this is his first head coaching gig. He just doesn't seem like he's ready for it. And he was handed a Super Bowl-ready roster, in my opinion. And this team is just struggling every week to put up points. I mean, honestly, they look like the Giants offense at times. I know they put up more points than we do. Actually, no, they really don't. I take that back. Uh, they, they really don't. They just look completely discombobulated. Russ doesn't look good at all. And they just lost Melvin Gordon for the year with a torn ACL. And conversely for the Raiders, I mean, they finally got over the hump. You know, they finally were able to pull out a win, both sides of the ball, doing what they needed to do. Was it pretty? Was it perfect? Absolutely not. But, you know, a nine-point win to get your first win on the year against a division rival, is it going to be a very difficult road to try and turn it around, especially when the Chiefs are playing the way that they are? Absolutely. But their season's not over. And the AFC West overall is very close. Now, with both the Broncos and the Chargers at 2-2, two and two, um, again, this also two teams with so much talent and really bad coaching. It is just a shame, and I think that's why we're seeing so much mediocre play from teams as a whole around the league because I, I really think we're in a weird spot where Coaches that have been really good are sort of running their course or have run their course and are on their way out. And these new coaches either just aren't ready or they don't have the guys they want in order to make the team work. And it sucks because when you have on that field Jerry Judy, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, you know, you you want to see more production, more exciting plays, more close games, and it's just been sloppy. So disappointing in that sense, but excited for the Raiders. As you guys know, I've kind of been pulling for them a little bit in in the AFC West. Their season is going to be very difficult, but it is certainly still alive. Not well, but alive. And now we move on to probably the most surprising game of the week. The Packers barely beating the Patriots 27 to 24 in overtime. Um, the Packers offense also just doesn't look great. They look out of sync. Aaron Rodgers looks fine. You know, he he doesn't look 
crazy good like we've seen from him in the past, like we saw from him last year. But he looks good, and it's not surprising that the Packers' offense has taken a little bit of a step down given all the talent that they lost. However, it's it, it's just weird to not see them playing like the juggernaut that they've been for the past decade. So, um, you know, obviously a Bill Belichick defense is going to play very smart, and they were able to keep themselves in the game. But it was even just more shocking because they were on their third string quarterback because Mac Jones was out going into the week with a high ankle sprain. So then they had Brian Hoyer, who left the game with an injury pretty early on. So they turned to Bailey Zappi, who held his own. And listen, I know there was a questionable touchdown that the Patriots scored to tie the game at 17 in the second half, where they literally, the play clock ran down and then reset. And so the Patriots essentially what should have been a delay of game on that exact play turned into a touchdown, which obviously is unfortunate for the Packers, but they were able to pull it out in overtime. So they end up going three and one on the season and the Patriots are now last in the AFC East starting off one and three, which is something we haven't heard for a very long time. And now we go to the Sunday night matchup between the Chiefs and the Bucks. The Chiefs winning 41 to 31, but honestly the score doesn't really tell the story of this game. The Chiefs completely blew the Bucks out. The Bucks defense did not have an answer for them. Clearly, they put up 41 points. But it wasn't just the Chiefs offense that they didn't have an answer for. It was more specifically Patrick Mahomes. The throws he was making were unbelievable. I I can't even remember watching a quarterback single-handedly annihilate a defense the way that he did and a defense that has been playing very well to start the season I might add and you know I just muted myself sorry credit to Tom Brady and the Bucks offense trying to keep them in it for as long as they could but I mean when you have Patrick Mahomes playing like that that was a very quick reminder you know how much I love Josh Allen you know how much I love Justin Herbert But to me, it is so clear that Patrick Mahomes is by far the best quarterback in the NFL. He is able to control a game better than anybody else. He literally can will his team to a win, which we've seen from Josh Allen as well. But I think it's so incredible given how much slack he caught in the offseason, everybody discrediting his play once Tyreek Hill was gone, and he just turned it around. And honestly, they should be 4-0 on the year. They really should. Um, last week, Travis Kelsey and the kicker for the chiefs really let the team down and were the reason that they lost. Um, but Mahomes and, and I kind of had a tweet against, uh, when the chiefs were playing the chargers saying how lucky Mahomes was, cause he could have had a couple turnovers in that game. But then you watch him on Sunday night football under the lights coming off a tough loss. And he just said, absolutely not. I am not losing to the Bucs again after losing to them in the Super Bowl. I'm not losing to Tom Brady again. I am going to, this is going to be my revenge game. And you guys are going to remember me and remember this matchup and remember this play. The play he had in the first half where he runs away from pressure, does a spin move, and does a jump little flick of the wrist, almost like a, a layup or or a lob in basketball to hit his uh, wide receiver, I think it was his running back, in the back of the end zone. It was something out of a movie. It it was so unbelievable. And my dad even said that might have been the greatest single quarterback play he's ever seen. And, you know, it wasn't a game-winning touchdown. It wasn't a final two-minute type of thing. But it's just a reminder of how talented he is, how in control he is, how aware he is of the field at all times, where he is, who's around him. 
just absolutely incredible. And then going to the Bucks uh, for them, they're fine. They're a very talented team. They're going to make it tough on teams every week. Are they a playoff team? Probably. Are they a Super Bowl team? Absolutely not. Um, I, I don't think Tom Brady has it in him anymore. And now the rumors are that him and Giselle are getting a divorce or potentially they hired divorce lawyers and Giselle was spotted without her wedding ring. So for all of you uh, into the drama off the field, that's a, a story to watch and maybe a key as to why he's looked unwell per se in, in some of his past press conferences this, this season. So something to just think about, but I, I just don't see the Bucks having the same firepower as they did. And they are pretty banged up already which obviously as the season goes on, guys are only going to get more hurt, not less hurt. So hopefully for them, they can try and mitigate that as much as possible. Um, but yeah, this was a really, really bad loss and their second loss in a row. So now after starting off the season 2-0, and they're now 2-2. Two and two, So a tough break for them. And then we head to the final game of the week, the 49ers dismantling the Rams 24-9. Um, this game was about Debo Samuel and the 49ers defense. Debo Samuel had such an amazing game and watching him is so fun because he's so rare in terms of his physicality combined with his athleticism. I mean, he will either shake you out of your shoes or lower his shoulder and bowl you over and not look back. And he is just a game changer. He really, really is. And I honestly don't know if there's a single player besides Saquon Barkley that I would rather have on my team than Debo because he's just incredible. And his fight and his will to win and his attitude, he plays angry. He plays nasty. He's just... He, he, it's like, fire me up, Debo. Like, let's go. He's just so good at anytime someone makes contact, you expect him to break out of it or fight for a couple yards afterwards. I mean, he single-handedly was carrying that offense and, and Jimmy Garoppolo had a solid game, but it was all about Debo and the physicality of that team. And conversely on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, Matt Stafford didn't have time to breathe. It felt like every other drop back he had, there was pressure in his face almost right away, which is very ironic considering the defensive line that the Rams have, and that was their staple last year. Um, I was down on the Niners a little bit going into this game just because of their past couple performances and how they've looked, but they completely turned it around, and, you know, they're just so talented. They're such a deep team, They and Kyle Shanahan's a good coach, and – you know, the, their division is not as difficult as it's been in years past because the Bucs are not as good as they were. The Saints are not as good as they were, and the Panthers suck. So, you know, the Niners, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I was thinking of the Falcons for some reason. Totally wrong division. That was embarrassing. But the Rams are not as good as they were last year. Uh, Seattle isn't good. I, I know they put up a lot of points this week, but they're not a good football team. I'm not worried about them. You know, they're going to be absolutely fine. They are going to win the NFC West, and there's no doubt about it in my mind. And for the Rams, um, Odo Beckham Jr. is sorely missed. Andrew Whitworth is sorely missed. Robert Woods is sorely missed. Like, this team is just a shell of itself. And Matt Stafford's clearly not healthy, and he's not – he's old. He's old. And at this point, him not having time to throw like he did last year, teams getting right through the offensive line – they can't establish a running game. It's just bad football for them all around. And, you know, they're still going to make big plays here and there. They're probably still going to beat bad football teams. But, 
when it comes to being true contenders, trying to defend their title, it's not happening this year. And, you know, it sucks also because you have to consider then, is this Aaron Donald last year? I doubt he's going to want to go out this way, but um, it's just not looking good for the Rams at all. And this is their second loss on the season. So it's tough for them. And and when you consider the two losses that they've had being against the Bills and Niners, who are two contenders, um, that's a tough, tough thing for them because the, those were games where they got absolutely just dominated. So it sucks for them. But I wanted to end this episode, actually, since we're about a quarter way through the season, I sat down and ranked every single team in the NFL. Now, some of these takes I might regret after saying them out loud, and some of these takes some of you might agree with. So I have five tiers that I chose. The first tier is just bad football teams, teams that suck. They need to completely rip apart the play sheet, get rid of everybody, blow the whole thing up, and restart. Then we have the teams that I call are working on it. So they're not good yet but they're they're getting there they're showing you signs of promise and what the future can hold in a season or two. Then we have the mediocre teams which they're not going to make the playoffs most likely. They might sneak in a wild card here or there, but you see that give them an off season and they're potentially ready to go. Um and I also have some teams in there that were expected to be a lot better than they actually are, some disappointing teams. Then we have the good teams and they are really good, but I don't know if they're good enough to win the Super Bowl. And then we have the true contenders who are my true, this could be the AFC championship matchup, NFC championship matchup, and the winners going, obviously, going to the Super Bowl. So on my, uh, I'll start with the good teams. No, I'll start with the bad teams. So the bad teams, bottom of the barrel. I have the commanders, the Cardinals. Yes, the Cardinals. They just absolutely suck. Uh, the Bears, the Steelers, the Panthers, the Texans, and the Colts. The Colts and Cardinals and Steelers, I understand everyone might be like, oh, no, they could be working on it type of deal. No, they're bad. They missed their window. It's over for them. Bad football all around. Now, the Steelers, I might change my mind depending on how Kenny Pickett performs, but I don't have faith. Then we have the working on it teams. Yes, I'm a little biased here. But it's true because the Giants are 3-1, and one, so it wouldn't be fair to put them under bad because they beat two of those teams that are on that list of the bad teams in the Panthers and the Commander. Not the Commanders. The Panthers and uh, the Bears. So, working on it. The Giants, the Jets, the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Lions, the Falcons, the Saints, and the Jags. And I know the Lions have been bad, but their offense is really good. They just got to get their defense together. So that's why I say in an offseason, I can see them becoming a mediocre to good team. And I also think Dan Campbell's going to be a really good coach for them. And I don't think any other team on there should be a surprise. Um, maybe the Falcons, but I think they've got a lot of skill position players on both sides of the ball. They just really need a quarterback and to shore up that defense up front, especially. So then we have the mediocre teams. So again, these are teams that most likely won't make the playoffs or they should be a lot better than they actually are. And this is the Broncos, the Raiders, the Bengals, the Browns, the Bucks, and the Titans. Now, I know the Browns are missing their starting quarterback until week 12, but even still, like, they've blown some big games. You know, they should have beaten the Falcons this week and just didn't, and they should have beaten the Jets in week two and just completely collapsed. And... So that's disappointing for them. They easily could be 4-0 right now. 
So then we go to the good teams. These are playoff teams. These are teams in my mind that are going to make a tough run to the Super Bowl, but I don't think they're actually going to get there. That is the Cowboys, the Dolphins, the Rams, the Chargers, the Packers, Vikings, and Ravens. Now, I know the Rams might be confusing because of how I just evaluated um, how I just evaluated them. My only thing is it's really hard to take a team that just won the Super Bowl and has a coach that has gone to the Super Bowl twice in the past five years and say that they're not making the playoffs this year. They're still two and two. I think they're going in in a wild card and that's what I'm saying. And then I have the true contenders. There's four teams on this list for the NFC. It's the Eagles and the 49ers and for the AFC, which would be such a sick championship game. If this could happen, the rematch, the bills and the chiefs. Um, so that is how I'm ranking every team as we're about a quarter way through the season. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed. Let me know what you thought of my analysis or would you call it analysis? I don't know. And also my rankings of all of these teams as of now, that is obviously subject to change as the season goes on. But either way, it's a lot of fun. It always is. And we are starting week five off with a Thursday night, not great game. Um, this matchup is a little disappointing. I'm not going to lie to you guys, especially given how these teams were supposed to perform this year, being the Colts and the Broncos. Uh, to me, the Broncos are the better team here. Um, I have the Colts being actually bad and I think Jonathan Taylor is kind of banged up too, which obviously isn't great for them because he's really their only weapon on offense. So I'm taking the Broncos on this one solely because there's no excuse for them to lose this at home. And I'm going to go Broncos 24 Colts 14 sloppy game, ugly game, but the Broncos will pull away. So thank you all for listening. I will catch you on the next one and let's go giants.